0: Hello, Tim Williams here. I'm the creator and host of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Thanks for choosing to listen to one of our archived episodes from our early days of launching the show. Although I love the overall content of these episodes, I will say the recording quality was not always the best as the show was still evolving and I was learning to record and edit pretty much on the fly. I believe the sound quality and editing has improved from season to season, so be sure to check out more great episodes and our more recent seasons. I hope you enjoy this episode and that it rekindles all those warm and fuzzy nostalgic feels. Once again, thank you so much for listening. viewers and movie lovers my name is Tim Williams and I'm your host for the 80s flick flashback podcast we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s from blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we've discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood no matter what film we choose from week to week we'll have a lot of fun sharing memories discussing our favorite scenes and even learning some behind-the-scenes facts about the cast and crew along the way so let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. A tender and poignant story of four friends who spend the last weekend of the summer of 1959 looking for the body of a missing local boy. Stand By Me won the hearts of critics and audiences in the fall of 1986. Starring Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Corey Feldman, and newcomer Jerry O'Connell, the movie still stands as one of the most influential and also most beloved coming-of-age films of the 1980s. So that's what the film we're going to talk about today on our podcast, and I have the pleasure of having uh, Mr. Laramie Wells as my guest co-host today. Say hello, Laramie.
1: Hello, Laramie. <laughs>
0: uh, I met Laramie uh, several months ago. We were in a local production of the musical Memphis, and uh, got to know each other there and found out we both love movies and musical theater and uh comic books and Superman and Batman and all that kind of cool stuff. So I'm glad to have him on the podcast with me this, this time. So, um, you ready? I am ready. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Stand By Me. So when was, when did you see it for the first time? Did you see it in theaters or VHS?
1: Oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I was, I was way too little to see it in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I probably, I probably didn't see it until, Maybe high high school, maybe even college was the first oh, time I saw it. So we're talking late 90s, early 2000s. Wow, so, okay, so you saw it yeah. much later.
0: Yeah, I saw it. I didn't see it in theaters. Um, let's see, in 86, I would have been roughly 12, about the, about the age of the kids in the movie, because then they're all 12, uh, except I think River, uh, Chris Chambers was supposed to be like a year older and possibly held back a grade. Um, yeah. But... uh but I didn't see it in theaters. I think I actually saw the TV version, like back in the '80s when, you know, Saturday and Sundays review on TV were for the movie of the week, and it was usually uh, a, a movie that had been in the theaters, and of course they edited it for TV. So a lot of the language, I you know, I have I have very different memories of some oh. of the stories.
1: Oh yeah, the <laughs> the language the, lang- the language is definitely something that uh, that caught my attention when I rewatched it. Oh, yeah. Uh, there, there's a lot of it that could not be done today.
0: No. Oh, yes. Yes. Several. A,
1: lo- a several. lot of what Kiefer Sutherland says.
0: Yeah. Yeah. My wife was watching it with me. Well, she she kind of dozed off the first part. And then, you know, as she normally does when watching movies like that. And uh, I think the first time that he used the word I think you're referring to, she was like, oh, I guess they could say that back then. I was like, oh, yeah, that was pretty a little bit more common or a lot more common than it is today. So he,
1: he uses a few words. Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and there's
0: even a few like I guess things that they say like little turns of phrases that uh we both kind of chuckle at like what who comes up with that but uh uh they were pretty funny so but uh I think I I was able to get it on VHS, you know, several years later. Um probably like in my teenage years and it was but I think I wa- I I want to say the one on TV, I think I recorded on you know, on my VHS and I had to have watched it a hundred times, if not more, um, you know, long before cable when there was something to watch on TV at all times, you just, you had your VHS as a movies that you could watch over and over again.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't stay, say that I, uh, I had that much of a, a draw to it, but um, you know, into high school and college, I was real big into movies. And so as I was building mm-hmm. a collection, that was just one of those. But I was like, yeah. I have to have this one as part of my collection. I probably did see it the same way. I saw it probably, you know, Saturday uh, on uh, Channel 36 here in Atlanta.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, um, but then I got it on DVD to add to my collection probably around, you know, late high school into college. And uh, that's actually the same copy I watched uh, for oh, yeah. this rewatch.
0: So so how long had it been since you watched it last before you watched it for the podcast?
1: to be honest probably over 10 years yeah yeah uh, cuz pro- i yeah. yeah i could not recall uh watching it since um honestly since you know me and my wife have met okay uh, and so and that's been been just over 10 years so it's probably been more than 10 years since i've watched it
0: yeah it's it's one of those movies that when we got talking about 80s movies a couple months ago on the Facebook group um I don't remember. I don't know if somebody else mentioned it or it just came into my thinking of that movie. And I knew I had not watched it in a long time because I don't think I didn't even have that one on DVD. Even when I had a pretty extensive DVD collection, Um, I know I had it on VHS. So it's probably been I mean, so at least 15, maybe 20 years for me since I've actually watched it all the way through. Like I might have caught it on cable or something like that, you know, uh, caught bits and pieces of it. But uh, but I still remembered a lot of it. Um,
1: Well, it's one of those 80s movies that have the scenes that just stick with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, which a lot of 80s movies do. So the you know, the the train dodge, Mm -hmm. um, both of them, the one that Corey Feldman does on his own and then the one that they're having to run uh, from the train on the terrace. And then, of course, the leeches. Yeah. I've always never forgotten the leeches.
0: Yeah, and I I remember of course seeing that as a probably a preteen early teenager. Um, I was very afraid of getting in any kind of water because I was afraid of leeches, and it was like I don't even know if leeches are even that common uh, in those kind of bodies of water. But uh,
1: yeah.
0: but I yeah I didn't like going to the lake or you know give me a pool that I can see the bottom of. I didn't want to get any kind of lake water uh, to see anything like that, but. So which of the, so this was kind of a, I was thinking about this when I was doing the research too, but, or even when I was watching it, you know, you have these four, four very distinct characters that are good friends. Which of the, which of them do you think you relate to the, you uh, recognize yourself in the most, either when you watched it the first time you were thinking that, or looking back on it now?
1: Uh, I probably never connected uh, you know, thought about that watching it in the past, but watching it for this rewatch, I would probably definitely say Teddy. Okay, um, I was just, you know, even still today, you know, just that uh, oddball um, who's just randomly gonna sing while everybody is, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: Paladin, Paladin, where yeah. do you roam? Yeah, and I was actually impressed with Corey Feldman's singing voice, even that. Even back then, I was like, "Hey, he can actually carry a tune pretty well."
1: Oh, Corey Feldman could do everything except for cry. That was the that was the one thing. Corey Feldman, great great kid actor, could Mm -hmm. not cry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think as a kid, of course, I I reckon I think I recognized myself in Gordy, maybe because he was the the primary character. But I was I was a real skinny. You know, kind of shy kid that I, I wrote stories as a kid. I was big into um, into writing a lot, um, but there were parts of Teddy because my dad was in the army, so I was an army brat. So his love for military and, and those kind of things, I could see I could see myself in. So, uh,
1: but yeah, it's just well that that's one of the thing. I know we'll come back to this later, but um, in the book, you actually find out that Gordy went off to Vietnam. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, yes,
0: for, for those of you uh, on the podcast, Laramie has read the book. I have not. So, he has more uh, backstory uh, than I did. So, let him dive deep, do a little deep dive into that a little later. So, well, let's talk a little bit about the production of uh, how it actually came to be. So, it is based on the novella The Body by Stephen King, which when we finished watching it, my wife was like, You did you know this was a Stephen King story? I was like, Oh yeah. Um, I remember that even, you know, back in the day. And I wasn't I'm still not a big horror movie person. I've seen a few Stephen King movies. Um, but I've enjoyed his movies, you know, from this novella like Shawshank Redemption, um, was one of the stories in that. Um, I'd like some other stories of his like The Green Mile. <clears throat>
1: so well, um, Shawsh- Shawshank Redemption is actually from the same collection. Right. Right. Uh, the, yeah. The body is one of four stories. Um, it's the summer story, out of a, a book called Different Seasons. And then mm-hmm. Shawshank Redemption, which is called Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption, right, is the spring. Uh, okay. The spring story, and in fact, uh, the uh, the Royal River, which is the river that they they cross in uh, in the body or in stand by me is the same river that Andy Dufresne tosses his gun into right at the beginning right. of Shawshank Redemption.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, so the book, so I guess Bruce A. Evans was sent a copy of the book to Karen Gideon, <clears throat> the wife of his friend and writing partner, Reynold Gideon on August 29th, 1983 as a gift for her birthday. Both Gideon and Evans quickly became fans of the novella and quickly contacted King's agent, Kirby McCauley, to negotiate film rights. McCauley replied that King's terms were $100,000 and 10% of the gross profits. Although the money was not an issue, the share of gross profits was considered excessive, especially considering there would be no stars that would be featured to help sell the movie. And in response, Evans and Gideon pursued an established director, Adrian Lynn, who had just directed the box office hit Flashdance to help sell the project. So Lynn was actually going to direct the movie, but had <clears> to <throat> me, promised himself a vacation following the production of nine and a half weeks and would not be available to start production until the spring of 1986. Rob Reiner was better known at the time for playing Michael Stivic or Meathead on the television show All in the Family, and had just started directing, making comedies like This is Spinal Tap, which I know was one of... Laramie's favorites and the <laughs> sure thing he was sent the script and his initial reaction was a script had promised, but no focus. After Lynn withdrew from the project Rainer signed on to direct in September of 1984 In a 2011 interview Reiner discussed his realization. That the film should focus on the character of Gordy more than the other boys. Um, Rainer said that, I'm uh, oh, sorry, Reiner said that he identified with Gordy as he himself struggled with the shadow of fame cast by his comedian father, Carl Reiner. The writers incorporated Reiner's suggestions, producing a new script by December of 1984 for Embassy Pictures review and approval. So uh, I guess it went through a little bit of pre production uh, writing changes, which I think was good. And uh, let's see, I'll skip over some things that aren't that relevant, but in March 1986, Columbia Pictures concerned that the original title, The Body, was misleading, renamed the film Stand By Me. According to screenwriter Raynald Gideon, The Body, as, as the story was called, <clears throat> sounded like either a sex film, a bodybuilding film, or another Stephen King horror film. Rob Reiner came up with Stand By Me, and it ended up being the least unpopular option.
1: <laughs> so just go with what do we what do we uh dislike the least there you go right right yeah
0: i'm curious as to what some of the other suggestions were but i can find any of those <laughs> in no. the uh uh in the notes but
1: i will say i do love that even though the song does not play until the the very end of the movie mm-hmm. you get an almost like a an orchestral right if i'm using the word right uh version of the song as kind of the score yeah, throughout. Yeah.
0: They do weave it in a lot in the movie. And I don't know if, I know I recognized it a lot watching it this time. I don't know if I recognized as much when I was younger, but, um, but I, I mean, I, I, once again, I'm impressed with Rob Reiner as a director. I mean, I know, you know, him doing more comedy before this, this was really his first more serious role. I mean, serious uh, project. But he went on to do some other really good um, movies as well. I mean, he did Princess Bride, which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Um, one of my other favorite movies, uh, A Few Good Men, he directed, which Kiefer Sutherland was in that as well. Um, any other Rob right. Ryder movies you're a big fan
1: of? Well, I mean, there's the the 80s uh, comedy romantic classic, When Harry Met Sally. Yes,
0: I forgot about that. And, uh, Definitely.
1: And and then um, he did such a good job with this one. He later went on and did another Stephen King adaptation. And he did Misery.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, I don't know if I have it in my notes, but I know from memory that uh, Stephen King basically told him this was the best film adapt- adaptation of any of his stories up to that point. And yeah. he only agreed for Misery to be made a movie
1: if Rob Reiner directed, which yeah, Rob. Robert- what- yeah and and th- and it really does i mean it helps that it's a novella and so it's a much shorter story, and mm-hmm. so you're able to put a lot more of the the book into the movie right uh right. you know misery does take a little bit out um I've read misery as well um but um but no this one is pretty pretty true, and I think it helped you you mentioned about uh Rob Reiner feeling the connection to Gordy. Well, I mean, if you really look at it, Gordy is Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he recognized
0: that too, because I think that was what he was, his point of focusing the story on Gordy was because he recognized that as much as it felt somewhat autobiographical for him as the director and, you know, Gordy, but it was really that way for Stephen King as well, which I think Stephen King has later, you know, confirmed that to say that a lot of that a lot of the stories are a lot of the things in the book and in the film paralleled his life so
1: yeah i mean he had, he's admitted the uh the leeches scene is mm-hmm. actually something that happened to him as a kid yeah yeah um, but you know good writers
0: yeah good writers pull from what they know and pull from life experiences so
1: yeah and that he also witnessed someone get hit by a train when he was uh was young wow. so so yeah so yeah again Gordy is Stephen King. And so there is a lot of that connection. I mean, becomes a writer and, um, uh, you know, all of that, which he's done before and then takes that back to misery,
0: mm-hmm. uh,
1: which is also about a writer. So, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, so <laughs> Stephen King and Rob Reiner like that connection.
0: Yeah. Very good. So for casting, they, you know, I think the audition, like over 400 young boy, young, got young men, young boys. I don't know how to say that <laughs> young boys. Uh, for casting, um, they had uh, considered Sean Astin, Stephen Dorff, and Ethan Hawke for the role of Gordy. Uh, Corey Haim also auditioned for the role, but the studio wanted him to play Chris Chambers. He didn't want to play the role of the best friend, so he turned it down in favor of the movie Lucas. And the irony is that his friend Corey Feldman landed the role of Teddy Duchamp. So uh, in 2011, uh, Will Wheaton told NPR, that he attributed the film's success to the director's casting choices. This is his quote, Rob Reiner found four young boys who basically were the characters we played. I was awkward and nerdy and shy and uncomfortable in my own skin and really, really sensitive. River was cool and really smart and passionate. And even at that age, kind of like a father figure to some of us. Jerry was one of the funniest people I had ever seen in my life, either before or since. And Corey was unbelievably angry and an incredible amount of pain and had an absolutely terrible relationship with his parents. Feldman recalled how his home life translated into his on-screen character. He said, most kids aren't thinking they're going to get hit by their parents because they're not doing well enough in school, which will prevent them from getting a work permit, which will prevent them from being an actor. O'Connell agreed that he was cast based on how his personality fit the role, saying Rob really wanted us to understand our characters. I tried to stay like Vern and say the stupid things Vern would say. I would, I think I was Vern that entire summer. Reiner and their producers interviewed more than 70 boys for the four main roles and out of more than 300 who auditioned Phoenix originally read for the part of Gordy. So how do you think about the casting?
1: I mean, like, like you said, uh, you know, the casting was perfect. You know, it was like, didn't matter how many he went through, you know, those four were the four characters the entire yeah. time. Yeah. So no, it, it, it was, It worked, you know. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me
0: going back and watching it is I forgot how great of an actor River Phoenix was. Mm. I mean, that, I mean, that, I think that struck me even like early on watching it. I was just, I don't think I recognized the greatness, his, his great talent when I watched it originally, but he was so magnetic on screen and just, I mean, if, if that was, like his home life, which from a lot of the stuff I saw, he was very much like his character. Um, he really resonated that very well uh, in the
1: film. Yeah, no. Uh, no, he's he's one of those that, you know, you watch him and you can tell that he's, he's deep into what he's doing because you can see him portray so much just through his eyes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and... You know, as much as I joke about the fact that Corey Feldman can do everything but cry, River Phoenix could cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so those were some some pretty powerful scenes. Uh, You know, I mean, something just as simple as uh, early in the movie when uh, uh, when Chris and Teddy get into the argument Mm -hmm. and Teddy goes to walk away and Chris is like, come on, skin it. Yeah. Skin it. Yeah. And and you can tell he's saying, Look, let's let's wash this away, let's move on, which you know, it's a guy thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. uh we don't have to say I'm sorry, we don't you know, if you, you just give me, you know, give me a little skin and uh we know we'll know everything is okay.
0: Yeah. I even take that even the scene before that with him and Gordy about the pinky swear. And mm-hmm. I mean, I remember doing that as a kid, but when he did it, I mean it was like that was real. That wasn't just something you just, you know, it wasn't a throwaway line or a throwaway moment. I mean, he was committed, you know, uh, committed to that. So um, I was impressed to find out that Reiner put the four main actors together for two weeks to play games from Viola Spolin's improvisation for the theater, which Reiner called the Bible of theater games. He wanted them to build camaraderie, which led to a real friendship between them and several one-shot takes. Where the young actors hit their cues perfectly, Wheaton would recall that when you saw the four of us being comrades, that was real life not acting and i think that I think that was true I mean they looked like four guys who really loved to be around each other
1: yeah, and I've heard a lot of uh you know where where they they played around on set uh you know even you know pulled pranks on each other, oh yeah, and whatnot and um but but I also um This, I also know that this was a very challenging movie to make because it was right after uh, the catastrophe that had happened during the Twilight Zone movie.
0: Right, right. uh,
1: In which a couple of the child actors uh, had died. Mm -hmm. And so this was when kind of the Hollywood child labor laws started to come in and they were only able to work the kids for so long. So there was a lot of using stand ins and, um, you know, shooting with only, you know, two of the four boys and whatnot and so um you know trying to get everything shot that way uh was a pretty good challenge for uh reiner yeah um
0: yeah which which makes sense because it basically took them the entire summer to film and this was a fairly short movie i was surprised that it was only like an hour and a half like i i was thinking it was a much longer movie until i went back and watched it and i was like this is really only like it's barely 90 minutes even with credits Mm -hmm. i think
1: yeah, I did the same thing. I I was, you know, when when I was going to sit down to rewatch it for this podcast, I was like, okay, well, I'm I'm going to need a little bit of time, um, <laughs> and and then yeah, I picked up the DVD case and just flipped it over, and I was like, that's ah, it's like hour and twenty eight minutes.
0: Yeah.
1: So, no, that got me too, but yeah. it it is it it you are not bored at any moment in that hour and, and a half. half. It it holds you for the hour and a half. Yeah.
0: So other great casting, I think, was Kiefer Sutherland uh, with his, you know, blonde hair, which you reminded me of his character from Lost Boys a lot. I was going
1: to say the same thing. (laughs) I cannot see Kiefer Sutherland in that look and not think that he's a vampire.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, me and uh, my other friend, Ron, were talking last night, I think it was last night, we were talking about it and uh, just talking about how Kiefer Sutherland Really built his career playing a bad guy. I mean, he lost boys, uh, stand by me. He did a couple other like smaller films where he was pretty much you know a no good person. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now to think of him, you know, the new generation seeing him as like Jack Bauer and uh, designated yeah. survivor, the TV shows like that's the 80s kids don't recognize him as the good guy. I mean, he's he's I mean, he's we remember him as being pretty sinister in his roles
1: yeah Um, oh yes almost soulless i mean the when he plays when he plays chicken with the log truck yes yeah uh, yeah just no care at all and then you really do think that he's he's willing to kill gordy at the end of the movie
0: yeah um so even this yeah even the scene where he he shoves chris on the on the sidewalk and puts the cigarette by his eye i mean that's you know that that's pretty intense that's not that's not I mean for I would say that for for me as a kid I could never see myself being bullied to that degree I mean there's a level of bullying and then there's that where it's just that's just sinister personality so
1: well and there's a little bit more of that in the book okay Um, not only is there and I don't know when you want to really get into it but the ending this
0: is a good time
1: yeah, so the ending is really the biggest difference between the book and the movie. I mean, there's little differences throughout. Um, obviously there's the setting. Uh the book, just like most Stephen King stuff, takes place in Maine. Um, this movie takes place in uh in Oregon. Uh probably just because someone didn't realize that there's a Portland in both of them. Yeah. Um exactly. And so uh so there's that, but it's really at the end. So um you know and i you know we'll throw up a spoiler warning or whatever uh for this (laughs) but when when they're all at the body uh both the younger kid younger kids and the older kids uh it is not gordy that pulls the gun it is chris
0: okay
1: you know he i mean he's the one with the gun right Right, right which you see in the movie he's the one that pulls the gun um The older boys do decide to back off. However, the older boys then decide to go and call it... It's the older boys that call it in anonymously. Gotcha. Uh, Unlike the movie suggests that the younger kids are the ones that do it. Uh, Then you kind of get a forward of where the older kids severely beat the four younger boys to try to prevent them from ever Mm. revealing, you know, what had happened. Um, You know, I I think one of them, and again, I don't remember the exact details, but I think one of them gets their arm broken. uh, And then the younger boys never say anything. They never say who beat them. They never say, Mm -hmm. you know, never reveal who was there and all of that. Um, So there's a a big issue, uh, you know, a big difference there. And then, of course, there's the... Um there's the afterwards. Um the, the book kind of jumps ahead and says, you know, in the following year, um uh, I know that Vern, Vern and Teddy end up breaking away, which he does say in the movie, mm-hmm. um, that they kind of break away and they end up befriending some younger kids so that they're the older two. Um and but a big thing about the book is that, whereas in the movie he talks about all three of them, and he just mentions about uh, Chris um, ultimately dying, none of the three. Gordy's the only one that makes it to adulthood. Uh, Chris's story is very similar. However, Chris doesn't even make it to be a lawyer. He is in law school oh, okay when when the stabbing happens in the restaurant. Uh, Vern Vern dies in a house fire that happens after a party Um, and then Teddy, Teddy dies in a uh, car accident
0: Uh,
1: and that's actually his fault. Um, He, he turns into an alcoholic and uh, he's killed. And so none of them, they all die as young adults or, you know, college age and they, they never make it, which is interesting because I believe Corey Feldman, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's in the book, but uh, in the movie, At one point, Teddy, Corey Feldman's character, says something about not living to be 20.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. And that's actually what happens in the book.
0: All right. Well, since we're kind of there, let's go ahead and talk about some of our favorite scenes.
1: Um,
0: you want to go first? I, I have a hard
1: time with this one. Uh, <laughs> I love, I love the, both of the train dodge scenes, uh, the one with Corey Feldman by himself, and then the one where they have to outrun the train on the trestle. Mm-hmm. Um, the leeches scene is always iconic. Uh, you know, it, even to this day, when I hear anyone even mention leeches, I just want to yell, "Leeches!" <laughs> like, um, yeah, and uh, and then even though it's a it's a story within the story, the uh, the pie eating contest.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, it's a, which actually that's another thing in the book. Uh, there's a few more of Gordy's stories that are featured in the book.
0: Okay. Um, yeah, because i going back to watch it this time in my mind I thought he told more stories through the movie but I just thought I only remembered the pie eating one but that is the only like real story that he tells in the movie
1: yeah so yeah so I I don't know if I can really say that one of them is my ultimate favorite from the movie but those are the three scenes that you know even without watching the movie like we talked about earlier for over a decade I could Mm -hmm. still remember all three of those scenes
0: yeah yeah I think the one, and it's kind of like a culmination of several scenes, but I think the scene that that I guess resonated with me the most was the campfire scene from beginning to end, just kind of like their camaraderie at the beginning, them, you know, telling stories, uh, and then the pieing, you know, story being told, uh, which as a kid, that was my favorite part, because I guess because it was more cartoonish, and more outlandish, it, it really... For it being such a serious movie, it was almost like a a spot in the middle to kind of breathe and just kind of enjoy something you know kind of fun and and uh and goofy mm-hmm. um, But then the scene that makes me laugh the most is the scene of Vern with the gun at the tree when they all have to switch places to guard because they think they hear wolves in the background mm-hmm. and you've got the scene with with Vern with the gun every time he hears a noise he he jerks from one side to the other, and my wife and I were just cracking up and then he goes behind the tree and then you hear the noise and you see the gun come from behind the tree. We just we laughed so much at that part that, that scene. Um, but then the most emotional scene for me is that scene of Chris breaking down talking to Gordy um, about the lunch money. Um, and I remember like I think the first time I saw it a kid, I think I cried in that scene like it just yeah. it had such weight to it and it moved such a moving moment. Um, which once again, going back to watching of all the performances, that was the most real of a, you know, Teddy has his breakdown at the, you know, uh, at the junkyard Uh like you said, he can't really cry. And even Gordy, um, he cries at the end and my wife was like, where are the tears, man? Where are the tears? And you kind of see him when they do a different shot. Yeah. But, um, but that, that, that scene to me, that whole segment of the movie to me, um, kind of checks all the boxes for me you have the comedy you have the drama you have the camaraderie that that kind of summed the whole movie up in that you know little 10 minute segment of the film so
1: yeah again that's just the power of uh river phoenix there yeah sad that we lost him too soon
0: yeah And, and you know doing the research they um about that scene like i guess he was struggling with getting the emotion that he wanted. And uh I watched an interview with River uh with Will Wheaton discussing it. And he was like, you know, we're just two, you know, kids on this movie. And he said they could tell that River was not really wasn't getting what he wanted to get from the scene. And so Will was like, well, why don't you go talk to the director and see if he has any advice for you. And he said he just got up and walked away. He was like, you know, he said I went and played a video game or did something, you know, stupid. He said, but but he went and talked to Rob Reiner. He said, when he came back to do that scene again, he said he came back totally different. He's like, he just, he and he found out later that Rob Reiner told him, he said, I want you to think about a time in your life where someone that should have looked out for you didn't, or someone that should have believed in you didn't, and they really let you down. And he said, thinking about River's, you know, background, he grew up, his parents were, you know, went from cult to cult, and he said, and, when they should have been protecting him from things. I'm sure he got a lot let down a lot. He said it, but whatever he, whatever thing he grabbed a hold of, he said it weighed on him for that scene. And that scene that's in the movie is that last scene they did. And after it was over, he was still so emotional that it took like the rest of the day for him to, to, uh to kind of come out of that, that sad, you know, uh heavy, heavy time. So, okay. but, uh, Okay, I'm. I feel like I'm bringing the podcast down. We got to <laughs> liven it back up now. <laughs> say something funny, Laramie. Anything. It doesn't matter. Um.
1: Hmm. Well, you know, I I will say, and uh, I've I've heard that there's an urban legend that River Phoenix actually lost his virginity during the filming yeah. of the movie as well. Uh, you know that this really was even for the actors. You know, the movie's so iconic for being a coming of age movie. Um, that a lot of what you read. Uh, is that it was a coming of age for the actors involved too? Yeah, I mean you're looking at Will Wheaton, uh, you know, ha- hadn't done an awful lot, but it was kind of a, a launching point for him because uh, he would go on to to be uh, Wesley mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> you know the polarizing Wesley <laughs> Crusher in uh, Star Trek Next Generation. Um, you know, Corey Feldman had already done Goonies and. Uh, right and lost boys and you know his career would take a, a really sharp turn um mm-hmm. you know he and cory ham would do you know a lot of buddy movie comedies silly comedies and then um he would take a rough turn and and then uh, of course you know river phoenix would uh would die very young and then you got um uh, jerry o'connell this is his first movie and him being the uh the one who probably changed the most, um yeah. as a not only an actor, but just physically. Uh, you know, he has the uh the what I guess now people would say the Neville Longbottom uh <laughs> aspect of, you know, he grew up to be the heartthrob and marrying the models and uh right. you know, maybe not have had that great of a career, but um but you know, he's still going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know you still see him on things from time to time yeah Um, but I do want to I do want to come to something okay. uh, this is again something that I probably didn't notice when I you know had seen this movie when I was younger but you know watching it for this podcast I'm kind of paying attention to stuff and when Gordy when Gordy pulls the gun or shoots the gun and then they do the slow lower and all that Mm -hmm. when you realize that he's pretty much just standing right over river phoenix's right shoulder i'm going how in the world did none of them see him pull (laughs) a gun um you know before this all happened i mean right you know he's clearly right in all of their uh their view out of sight yeah yeah and so because
0: yeah because teddy and Vern both run off before then so it's not like he was one of them that ran away, grabbed the gun and then came back with it behind his back or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. and it, it's not like yeah, he just he's sh- not like he's coming at them from the side or from behind. Like he's he's just right beside Chris when it happens and they were I mean, Kiefer Sutherland was right up on Chris's face at the time. Um but um but here I I don't know what you have wanted to I want to talk about what do you think cuz there's a lot of debate of this um is the deer right so there's the the final scene uh well not the final scene but the final night final day right before they discover the body uh gordy sees the deer and then he of Mm -hmm. course he he talks about that when everybody else uh gets up that morning he says he wanted to tell them about the deer uh but he doesn't and in fact he's never spoken about the deer until now right um and I I've read a lot of things, you know, it's one of those things where you kind of wonder, you know, what was Stephen King thinking? Cause that is in the book. Um, okay. you know, what was Stephen King thinking when he wrote this, uh, this part? And of course a lot of people talk about that. It's, it's still finding the, the positive or in the case of a lot of these stories, you know, just like the Shawshank Redemption, it's finding hope when you don't think there is any. Right. Right. Um, and, and so I, I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on uh, what you think the meaning of the deer is.
0: Honestly, as a kid, I never understood that part. Like that part of the movie always confused me. Like why, you know, why even bring it up? Why is it there? Um, so watching it yesterday when that scene came up, I was like, okay, I want to try to see if I can, you know, see past the surface. Um, and I really, I kind of thought about it, you know, here you, you're on this, he's been on this full day journey with his, with his friends, people he's been around pretty much nonstop, except for the time he walked to get the food um, when they stayed back at the junkyard, but he's been around them the whole time. And it's a lot of, you know, nearly traumatic things that happened. They, have you know, chased the, you know, almost got run over by a train. This is after the leeches scene too, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, they spent the night, you know, probably the first time out in the woods so far from home. So a lot of like really, you know, serious things have happened. Um, so to see the deer. Yeah, I don't know if it's that, you know, like I said, that hope or just almost a little bit of innocence. Like,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm about, I'm about, you know, we're about to go to junior high. Our lives are going to be changed. Um, you know, I still I see this and it, you could tell it was a bait. It was a young deer, wasn't an adult deer. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe he identified with the deer somewhat of like, Hey, you know, something innocent that's, that's in a dangerous area. Cause they, it's going across a train track. It could get hit. Uh, I don't know. Um, I just, I kind of saw it as like a piece of like him holding onto a piece of innocence. Like, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe he mm-hmm. had lost some already by even going on the journey. And to yeah. know that from this point on, I can't go back anymore. But if I can hold onto this image of this deer, of this pure, innocent thing, amongst all this other kind of craziness, and then I also thought, once again, you know, just losing his brother, um, if he felt like that was a reminder from his brother that he was going to be okay,
1: you know. Yeah. No, I uh, that's a really good thought, and um, just to throw c- completely random, I totally forgot John Cusack, played <laughs> the brother. <laughs> yeah until i saw this um uh, so yeah i
0: i think i didn't i didn't remember when i started it but then when that scene was coming up i was like oh yeah john cusack he had just finished filming uh the sure thing with rob reiner Mm -hmm. so rob got him to come in and do those few scenes i think he did them all in an afternoon like he wasn't on set very much so but yeah and he was one of my favorite actors uh 80s actors back then doing all the teen comedy movies so Oh yeah, was, the deer, the deer scene.
1: This was one crazy summer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> Which is probably my favorite of the John Cusack some uh, movies. We did Hot Pursuit. We did One Crazy Summer. Sure thing. Say,
1: Say anything. anything was, I, I'm I'm was, a big fan. The yeah. Well, the, I don't consider
0: Say Anything is in its own category. Like yeah. that was that that yeah. That's yeah. that's a different. So. We'll get to those I, eventually. Yeah. I, I,
1: <laughs> I gave her my heart. She gave me a pen. That's still one of the greatest <laughs> yeah. lines.
0: Most definitely. So any other scenes that uh, we want to talk about?
1: Uh, I think we covered it. I do I do like to throw out a little trivia. I am a huge Stephen King fan, if yeah. you haven't te- been able to tell from the fact that I've read all these books. Um, but when they sit down and count all their money, when they find out... Oh, yeah. That uh, it totals two dollars and thirty seven cents. Uh, well, two thirty seven is also the the infamous room number in The Shining. Oh, okay. now that, that's that's not a Stephen King book connection, because in the book, the room is two seventeen. OK. Um, and then there's a story about how they changed it for the movie, because since they were using an actual hotel, they didn't want anything negative associated with any actual room of the hotel, I so gotcha. they used a number. They used a number that wasn't actually a room number, and they came up with two thirty-seven. So then you've got uh, in Stand by Me, the the change they they uh, count up is two dollars and thirty-seven cents, and then Shawshank, which like I said, is from the same book that The Body is from. Uh, at the near the end of the movie, when again spoiler alert for the Shawshank Redemption, but come on it came out in 1997 <laughs> um, um or 94 whenever yeah, whatever year early it was early 90s, uh, yeah. yeah um when when andy is gone and they go to red cell they yell out open 237 mm. and so uh, so you got three stephen king adaptations um not necessarily connection in the book but uh adaptations in which um, you've got the the uh, two three seven connection. Right. I just I find trivia like that very very fun.
0: <laughs> well, here's something I found out too. Going back to uh, the great singing voice of Mr. Corey Feldman, uh, the boys sing the Ballad of Paladin uh, throughout the movie, which was the ending theme song to the TV series Have Gun Will Travel. Uh, Starring Richard Boone as paladin songwriter, Johnny Western successfully sued the producers for not securing his permission to use a song beforehand.
1: Yep. That'll do it.
0: (laughs) So if you caught last week's episode of our last episode of coming to America, lawsuits seem to be pretty famous and, Hollywood, when movies make money. <laughs> so,
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, you know, I don't know if you'll you'll get around to this one, but you know, Beetlejuice did it too with Deo. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Beetlejuice got sued over Deo. So.
0: And then, uh, I'll, this would be my last little trivia thing I thought was interesting. So, did you know that Michael Jackson was asked to do a cover of Benny King's song "Stand by Me" for the movie, but Rob Reiner, in the end, thought the original version was better suited for the movie and i would have to end them.
1: yes and it was (laughs) i mean it was probably you know i'm again i'm i'm a big horror movie guy uh i'm partial you know michael jackson can do a movie a song for a movie because there's nothing better than the song ben uh the movie is horrible but everybody (laughs) remembers the song right um but it's kind of funny because you know later uh Michael Jackson and Corey Feldman would become such close yeah. friends.
0: Yeah. yeah. But so. uh the, the original Stand By Me by Benny King, it actually did pretty well because it got a resurgence on the on the charts. Originally it made it to uh let's see, I had it written down. Uh in nineteen sixty one it uh ah, I didn't write it down. I don't remember. It didn't reach as high. I think it, I think in nineteen sixty one it got to like four or five. But when it was re-released, mm-hmm. uh, it made it to number nine uh, on the Billboard charts. So, still got in the top ten both times it was released. But I remember that song being pretty popular on the radio when the movie was out as well, which probably helped no. it uh, get some you know get some people to see it in the theaters as well. Um, no, I'm sure. So, uh, speaking of Stephen King, you know he was very impressed with the film on the special features of the 20th anniversary Blu-ray set. Uh, Stephen King indicated that he considered the film to be the first successful translation to film of any of his works. According to a later interview with Gene Siskel, Reiner recalled that after a private early screening of the film, King excused himself for 15 minutes to compose himself. He later returned to remark, that's the best film ever made out of anything I've written, which isn't saying much, but you really captured my story. It is autobiographical.
1: Yeah. So no, and it really is. I mean, as much as people love uh, you know, Carrie and the Shining which came before, right. uh they are very different from the the source material. Um you know, uh, you know, <clears throat> even even though this newer version of it that has just recently yeah. come out yeah. is probably closer to the book than the TV miniseries from the right. 90s. Right um yeah I don't think there's you know I don't think there has ever been anything as almost dead on because you heard me say like really except for a little bit of the exposition at the end um there's not a lot that's different I mean there's the boys I know have to deal with a a horrible storm Mm -hmm. in their travel in the book um the the leeches are actually just in a uh, a nice little pond it's not a swamp you know so they don't think anything of it right uh when they jump and then, and they actually they're jumping in to enjoy in the book it's it's okay. not that they had it's not that they, they have to, to cross, cross. Right. yeah it's that uh they just had went, they just went through that storm you know they had a, a rough night and you know this was okay hey we're going to stop and enjoy and that's when the leeches happen. So it's just little changes. Um, yeah, uh, Gordy's brother—he—he uh, he dies in a car wreck, but his car wreck is actually uh, a military vehicle while he's in basic training.
0: Oh, okay. Wow.
1: Um, okay. Which you know, based off of the the timing of the movie, I don't know if you know he's going off for because now does the movie take place in the '60s? '59. 59. So it would have been just after Korea. Um, we hadn't quite, we hadn't gotten into Vietnam yet. So I don't know why the older brother was joining the military, but, uh, but that was the, the original, but yeah, other than that, it's, you know, it's a pretty good um, interpretation of uh, the original source, the original novella.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like I said, it's well beloved, uh, by you and I for sure. And a lot of other people too. I mean, it's, uh, like I said, critics and moviegoers alike have enjoyed it. It's got a 91% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, which is pretty hard to do, uh, especially for a a movie as, uh, you know, an eighties movie. Um, it's currently 75 on Metacritic, which isn't quite as high, but, uh, I know. I still think, you know, it's not, unfortunately it's not one of the first movies I think of when I think of the eighties. You know, there's such other big blockbusters that we Mm -hmm. kind of think of, but um, for one that I think I've one that definitely holds up uh, to go back and rewatch. I don't think there's too many that hold up as well as this one. Of course it's not really set in the eighties because it's more Mm -hmm. of a period piece. Um, it kind of makes it a little more timeless in that aspect, but um I think it's just that one of those universal stories i mean not not every not every kid's gonna go with his four friends to find a body you know uh but we've all done adventures with our friends as kids or there's things it's the friendships and, and the bonds no matter how that bond is formed um that I think resonates with with us so
1: well, and I think it connects so much with, um, you know, those of us, you know, like uh, you and I, who were who were still fairly young in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I was I was a small child uh, in the 80s, not to, you know, make you feel old or anything. <laughs> but um, uh, you still have more hair, right th- here. If it doesn't matter. Th- this is true. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it worked for us, because we were in a similar situation, you know, you're looking at these kids in the sixties, um, you know, which is pretty much what they were, uh, late fifties and sixties in which their fathers had, you know, come back from war, had come back from, yeah, from whether it be world war two, you know, uh, which is possible. You know, I would almost think Gordy's dad possibly could have fought in world war two. Um, especially in the book because in the book he's the, they describe Gordy's parents as almost being old enough to be his grandparents. Yeah. And they did look older in um, the movie
0: too. I mean, they,
1: they seem yeah. older. And so, so you got that and then you've got, um, you know, uh, the other dad who probably came back from Korea. Um, when well, the movie said he
0: keeps saying his dad stormed the beaches of Normandy. Oh, which is so he was also,
1: yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, but so then you're looking at, you know, the the preteens and teens of the 80s were in a very similar predicament because yeah, their true. dads had, had been in Vietnam. Um, and, you know, a lot of them could probably relate. And, and again, it was that same kind of time. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you could just, you know, you would get up Saturday morning and you would yeah, just yeah. walk out the house. Yeah. And uh, you know, your parents didn't see you again until you came back in that night or, right. you know, right. Uh, yeah, I don't, I can't say I ever went somewhere and without my parents knowing and like camped out, but no, but yeah. you know, I would, I would walk a good, you know, mile or so through mm-hmm. some woods and find a lake and go fishing. And I would spend the whole day there. And, and you know, as long as I was back by dinner <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, it's, it's a lot different now you know mm-hmm. where we're we're all connected through cell phones and and all that uh GPS tracking yeah cuz you're cuz you're looking at all four of these boys just just left right you know 11 12 maybe 13 year old uh boys just walked out of their house and spent a whole weekend uh walking you know 20 to 30 miles to another town and yeah and back and yeah Yeah, I've had I had
0: that conversation not too long ago um, with some, you know, kind of people our age just thinking, uh, you know, just having that 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 exact thought of like, I can't imagine my kids doing what I did as a preteen. Like you said, like just, you know, all I'll see you. I'm I'm going out with my friends. We'll see you tonight and just be gone and not have a thought of where they'd be now. Now, a lot of my memories of doing those kind of things. We lived on a military base. Like I said, my dad was in the army. So we were somewhat confined to a kind of secured area. But at the same time, that was a huge, I mean, we, we would walk, there was a pool on base that had to have been a good five to 10 mile walk. And we would get up in the morning. It it opened it to say it opened at 11. We'd leave the house at eight. No one was going to take us a good hour, hour and a half. And that's just, you know casually walking and we'd be you know sometimes in the woods sometimes you know going over overpasses um and then we go to the pool be there for a couple of hours and got to walk back home uh no snacks no water bottles you know it's like yeah. just you know who needs food we're just going to the pool but um it's definitely a different time definitely a different time um but yeah I thought it was interesting. I, I don't know. Did you watch? Have you seen the deleted scenes from the movie?
1: Uh, probably not in in years. Uh, again, I I really just watched the movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I I have the DVD, so I have it all on there. But it's probably been a while since I've watched all that.
0: Yeah, there was um. There's only like two real deleted scenes. The other ones are kind of like alternate takes, at least of what I saw on YouTube, because I don't. I didn't own it. I ended up renting it and just had the just was able to watch the movie. But um, there's one scene. There's a deleted scene when they're about to cross uh, the bridge with the train. And Teddy is being an idiot, as usual. And he's walking on the outside edge, kind of like teetering. And Chris is yelling at him, get in the center, get in the center. And then he goes to the center and he starts walking. And he's kind of, being, you know, once again, goofing off. And he steps where one of the beams should be and it's not. And he falls and he catches himself and Chris has to save him, um, which I thought was interesting. Once again, thinking about as a kid, I mean, just I thought as a parent, if he really fell and he was gone, I mean, what, how would you even, I just, I just couldn't even, it's just, it was too much for me. (laughs) I was like.
1: Yeah. Well, of course, you know, Stephen King, you know, kind of the, you know, where directors and writers kind of have their, their tropes. Yeah. You know, Stephen King always has that, you know, absent or um, you know, ne- uh neg, uh, neg- uh, you know the word I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> but the the parent that does I mean that's the whole story behind it. Is, yeah. you know, the 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 parents don't even realize what's, you know, happening to their kids or don't right. care. Um, and so they kind of give you the same impression i mean you have the moment where gordy has the dream where his father flat out says to him yeah oh yeah it should have been you Mm -hmm. um and and clearly um you know even from the train scene which is i think why they cut that scene because they had already relayed kind of the same thing in the the scene where teddy tries to dodge the train right is that you know teddy's life is so horrible uh in reality yeah that you know he'd be he'd be fine with no longer living yeah um and I think that's also why you you see him you know when they're all four singing and then Chris and Gordy start having a conversation um Teddy keeps singing yeah yeah you know and then at the end of the movie when they're walking away you know Teddy sings as he walks away and I think that's just kind of his escape
0: so that mm-hmm. he's not
1: having to think about the life he actually is having to go to. Yeah, um,
0: I thought about that about his character, like about the singing. I think he he has this, even though his dad has tried to kill him, he almost wants to picture his dad as a hero, like what he sees <laughs> on the TV shows of that time, and that's why he sings those songs. Like I've I've still got to find some good in my father, even though I know. Yeah he doesn't treat me the way he's supposed to.
1: Well, that's why he defends him when Chris yeah. talks bad yeah. about him. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And the, and the owner of the junkyard, which that was probably my second favorite scene is the junkyard scene. Um, yeah. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up. I'm, I'm trying to end on a happier note. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, it, it's, hey, a it, it, Vern, it's a serious
1: Vern movie. Fi- Vern finds a penny and is just going to start a new jar. Yeah, that's, yeah. There you there you go. because that's 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 showing that the the innocence that still exists in these four characters is Vern, right? There at the end, yeah, yeah. they separate. He picks up, he turns around, he goes, A penny. You know, yeah. <laughs> And you, you just see that childhood innocence still in yeah. that that character. Um so so no, it it's all good.
0: Yeah. Well, Laramie, it's been a blast having you on the this episode. It's a great movie uh well worth talking about and we could probably sit here and talk about it for another hour and dig deeper but uh we won't <laughs> <laughs> but uh but i appreciate you being on here it's, it's great to have you i know i have you again for some other episodes in the future so i appreciate you hanging out with me for this one.
1: Oh hey you know i love talking movies
0: thanks again so much for listening to today's episode If you want to continue the conversation, send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. That's movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also share your thoughts by joining the Movie Views group on Facebook, and you can also follow us on Instagram. There you'll find news and reviews about current and upcoming new movie releases, not just the 80s movies we talk about here. Be sure to be on the lookout every other Friday on Facebook and Instagram as well, where we announce the 80s flick we'll be watching for the next episode. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating, leave us a stellar written review, and also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. And no matter which platform you choose to listen to us on, be sure to check out the show notes to read more fun facts about the movie we just weren't able to fit into this episode. Well, that's all for today. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.